I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Hello, you fans. Welcome in. This is the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's powered by KSLSports.com. I'm your host and Utes Insider, Trevor Allen. I apologize that it's been a while since I've had a podcast come out. I did do a live one with Drew Lisk, and I'm going to run that back probably later this week. So it's not that I've gone completely dark. And you guys can also check out all of the latest content on the Utes at KSLSports.com. I have a lot to get to today. We'll talk to... Wilson Alexander, he is with the Advocate in Baton Rouge. We're going to talk about Chris Curry and what he'll bring to the Utah football program as he is leaving Baton Rouge and LSU to join the Utes. We'll also talk about the running Utes as they've been hit and miss over the last couple of weeks. But coming off of a big win over Colorado on Saturday where they were down by 19 points and came back and won the game. So we'll talk about that and some other news and notes that have popped up around Utah athletics. And we'll just start. I know some of this could be maybe a little bit older, but we're going to touch on it anyway. We'll start with Utah athletics naming former Utah softball, all American and Utah hall of famer, Charmel green as the deputy AD. She's going to take over for Kyle Brennan, who, became the athletic director at Illinois State, and she's got a lot of experience. She's been at Penn State for the last 10 years as a senior associate AD for student athlete performance, health, and welfare, and the senior woman administrator. So this is awesome how she's going to come back and be at her alma mater, and she'll be taking over the job that Kyle Brennan had. And Fox Sports named Utah quarterback Charlie Brewer among the top transfers in the 2021 offseason. Now, this is R.J. Young. He's a college football insider for Fox Sports. He put out his, his list of top five transfers during the offseason to this point. Now, I know that there's going to be more trickling in as we're going along here, but he has Charlie Brewer at number two, only behind Xavier Alford, who is a safety from Texas going to USC. 
Now, that's a big get for USC because they lost Talanoa Hufunga, who decided to enter the NFL draft. So getting a really talented Texas safety is big for them. And then Brewer comes in at number two, coming from Baylor. And then former Ohio State wide receiver Mookie Cooper is going to Missouri. That was number three. And then a big running back transfer from Tennessee going to North Carolina and Ty Chandler is number four. And then Miami is getting a talented wide receiver in Charleston Rambo, who is going to South Florida from Oklahoma. So that's a pretty cool uh, thing for Charlie Brewer. I mean, they've already set the the bar pretty high for him um, to come in. And I think a lot of it is because I know a lot of fans have not been pleased with what Jake Bentley did for Utah, but Bentley still did some good things for the Utes. I know he didn't have the best performances. I know he got benched against Washington State. And then on that same line, R.J. Young released his top 10 breakout defensive players for 2021. And he has Devin Lloyd at number five on his list behind Malachi Moore of Alabama Elias Ricks of LSU, Nick Benito of Oklahoma, Iowa State defender Will McDonald, and then Devin Lloyd at number five, Haskell Garrett of Ohio State at number six, number seven, Jalen Catalan, and then number eight, Oregon linebacker Justin Flo, number nine, Texas uh, Alfred Collins, and Michigan defender Daxton Hill. And I know a lot of us already know that Devin Lloyd's going to have a great year for Utah. I don't know if he should be a breakout performer because if, based off the definition of breakout, so I know that people have different definitions of breakout seasons. Like breakout that they surprised everyone and, you know, nobody expected this. That's the way I look at it. But if if R.J. Young means that Devin Lloyd's going to take it up a notch, that we can all expect and agree with because Devin Lloyd is going to take it up a notch. I mean, he had 48 tackles in five games. Um, He had 10 tackles for loss. He had two sacks. Devin's going to be very special coming up in 2021, especially because he has such a young group of linebackers coming in in that 2021 class with Ethan Calvert, Mason Tufaga, and Trey Reynolds. He's going to be molding those guys along and while he's getting ready to go to the NFL. So big things ahead for Devin Lloyd. And I'm glad that the national scene has taken notice of him because he was also listed by ESPN.com in their way too early 2021 All-American class. So this is something I actually stumbled upon. ESPN released their best value picks for each team in the NFL. And for the New York Jets, their best value pick from the 2020 NFL Draft was Javelin Guidry. And no, he was not drafted. He was an undrafted free agent, signed with them after the draft. And he came on strong as a rookie. Um, didn't play till towards the end of the year, but had 22 total tackles, 15 solo tackles, and was tied for third in the NFL with four forced fumbles. So really happy to see that Javelin Guidry is getting recognition for what he's done, especially as an undrafted free agent. And, and you know, I was kind of shocked that he didn't get picked, but I knew he was going to be highly sought after when the draft ended because he ran a 4 2 9 
40-yard dash at, at the NFL Combine. I mean, I mean, that's just really impressive. And then one more quick thing, and then we'll jump into our interview with Wilson Alexander of the Advocate in Baton Rouge. Former Utah quarterback and now former Florida offensive coordinator Brian Johnson is heading to the NFL. Johnson agreed to become the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback coach. So that's, that's really awesome because Brian has worked his way up. You guys know his, his story. Became an offensive coordinator at Utah. Didn't work out as well as we had all hoped, especially with him being a legend as a player. And then he goes on to Houston, Mississippi State, and then ends up going with Dan Mullen to Florida and then became the first black offensive coordinator in Florida football history this past season being promoted from quarterback coach to offensive coordinator. He coached up a Heisman Trophy finalist in Kyle Trask. Now he's got an even bigger task of having to coach up Jalen Hurts, potentially Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. I mean, I know that there's a lot of rumors of Carson Wentz leaving Philadelphia, but as of right now, those are the two quarterbacks. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out as Johnson's in the NFL for his first coaching job. Really happy for him. He has proven that he is a great coach. Glad to be talking about the next Utah running back transfer that's coming to the University of Utah, and that is Chris Curry from LSU. And to talk about him, we go to Wilson Alexander, who is with the Advocate in Baton Rouge. Wilson, how are you, man? I'm all right, Trevor. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. So I just want you to kind of tell us, as you've covered Chris Curry over the last three years for his time at LSU, tell me about his game on the field. Yeah, it, Chris had to wait for a while um, to get a shot at even playing. He was stuck behind some pretty good running backs. And then late in the 2019 season, he got a chance during the Peach Bowl because Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, an eventual, of course, first-round pick by the Chiefs, uh, got hurt and really couldn't play in that game. Uh, much at all. And so Chris got ended up with, you know, was asked, Joe Burrow, excuse me, asked the coaching staff to use Chris. And he ended up with a season, a career high in uh, rushing yards. And so he entered this season as the lead back in sort of a running back by committee situation. Um, and it never really, nothing ever really, it didn't really work out for him. Um, he ended up uh, falling behind the other running backs. But when it comes to his style as a runner, he's a bruiser. He runs very, you know, physical, uh, takes a lot to bring him down. Um, he just he's sometimes been, I think, compared a little bit to Marshawn Lynch in the way that he runs, although he's not obviously at that level. Um, but that's sort of his play on the field. I guess you've already touched on it a little bit, but as far as the reason why he transferred, he, you know, it, it was looking like he was going to get some playing time this year, but then just kind of fell, fell behind the running backs and just decided he wanted to start fresh. Exactly. He, he got a couple starts uh, the first few games of the year. And then he just sort of fell out of favor. Um, I don't think it was anything more than just the Tyron Davis Price and John Emery, two sophomores, were giving LSU more um, than Chris Curry was. And he ended up actually having a really good game late in the year. I'm struggling to remember the exact opponent it was against, but he had something Florida, like Florida, it looks like, as far as his game log. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Um, played well against Florida with Emery and Davis Price out, but – the next week in the uh, season finale, he had, I think, five carries for eight yards. And so it was just a matter of he, he wasn't going to be playing moving forward. They signed a couple other backs. Um, he needed to go somewhere he's going to get to play. What kind of person is Chris Curry off the field as far as interacting with the media and all that kind of stuff? We didn't get a lot of opportunity to talk to him because he didn't really, you know, sort of 
become a starter until this year. And this year with coronavirus restrictions, there were much, there were a lot fewer opportunities to interview the players than we've had in years past. Uh, no chances to talk to them in person at all. Um, but we do know that Chris received number 18 and that's a really big deal at LSU. Um, usually one, sometimes two, the last years has been two players um, will receive that Jersey going into the year. Um, and it signifies leadership and high character and qualities that LSU wants to recognize in his players. And it gave Chris that number entering the year. Um, so that was a pretty big deal and says a lot about him as a person. Uh, typically the person who receives that number LSU has in its coaching staff has a lot of respect for them. How is his uh, pass catching ability out of the backfield? Not something that we've seen a whole lot of. Um, so I really don't know. They, they would use Emory more in that role. Um, Clyde again that was something he was great at and he played he did it so much in 2019 that that Chris never really had a chance to show us that and then he he didn't play that much this year so we have yet to see if he's a really good pass catcher out of the backfield or not he's more of a between the tackles kind of runner though you already mentioned you know toughness physical type runner which is Utah's DNA as far as running backs I mean why should Utah fans be really excited about having Chris Curry join the program well, he's going to – I mean, he's going to run hard. Um, I, I don't know how he's going to end up working out with him there. I don't know what, uh, what Utah has at running back right now or what it's really doing offensively. Um, but we saw glimpses of him being able to be a productive back at LSU. Like you said, he had uh, a good game against Florida. Um, he had that great game in the Peach Bowl against Oklahoma, and it really and Joe Burrow, was, you know, wanted him in that game when Clyde was out, and, and so he's got he's shown some glimpses of what's possible for him. He just hasn't done it for a sustained stretch, a sustained period of time. If he can consistently churn out, you know, ninety kind of yard games on like seventeen carries, that's probably what you would expect from Chris um, at his best. Um, but maybe he can end up being more than that. Now, talking about the Tigers, I know that 2020 wasn't the type of year of, of 2019, especially with how much talent either opted out or, you know, went into the NFL. I mean, obviously Burrow and, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I mean, that LSU team in 2019, I'm, I'm sure, was really fun to cover. It, it was a lot of fun to cover. That was actually so that was my first season on the beat. Um, and so I've actually, my two years, covered one of the, the greatest LSU season of all time and then one of the worst back-to-back um, so that's been kind of wild going from those two extremes. Um, but yes, 2019 was an amazing year and I'm not from Louisiana. And so being able to see how that football season affected the people down here and affected their mood was incredible. I mean, it was, everyone was just on cloud nine for months on end, um, leading up, you know, through that championship game. And unfortunately a lot of you know, the coronavirus pandemic has, has dampened that in a lot of ways and they didn't get to quite enjoy it like a normal reigning national champion would, but it was still an incredible season to recover and, and one that no one here will forget. Well, I'm actually sure that the, the uh, crowds, had it been full this year, probably wouldn't have been as happy with a lot of the results that happened at LSU, right? Absolutely. Even the sparse crowd, you could tell, was not very pleased. What is next for them then? Because, I mean, you mentioned your uh, first two years on the beat, best year in school history, and then you go to one of the worst years in school history. What does 2021 bring for Ed Orgeron's team? Probably somewhere in the middle of that. They were such a young team, particularly by the end of the year, because of all the opt-outs and and different sort of attrition that they had. They were playing in just a ridiculous number of freshmen and sophomores. Um, So the fact that those guys will be a little bit older will probably help them. They won't, unless 
things continue to, you know, unless they have to play another full SEC schedule, they'll probably, um, you know, have some easier non-conference games that they can kind of get under their belt and not have to try to play a full um, SEC slate. Um, and so they'll probably go, you know, be a little bit better, maybe go nine and three or eight and four or something like that. I'd be, they, they're not going to get back to immediately back to the, you know, 2019 LSU, but um, they should be better than they were this season. Who's the quarterback going to be? I know that that there was some, uh, you know, touch and go there as far as the quarterback play. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's, I mean, even Orgeron himself knowledge that it's going to be, as I think the word he used was interesting during spring practice because Miles Brennan, um, we're not sure if he's been cleared yet off of his uh, injury that ended up ending his season. Um, so how healthy is he going to be going to spring practice? And and if he's not, then Max Johnson, TJ Finley, and Garrett Nussmeyer, who's a freshman who just enrolled, are going to be you know splitting those reps. And um, and that'll really open the door for someone to take it from Brennan if he comes back healthy. Um, but right now, it's still, I would say, maybe Brennan's to lose. But Max Johnson, in particular, the way he played his last two games, is going to fight for that position. Do you know what of what you're going to be doing in 2031, the year 2031? Oh, no, I do not. Because <laughs> that's when Utah and LSU are, are scheduled to play each other. All right, looking forward to it. It's 2031, and then uh, it, and it's actually going to be in Salt Lake City the first game, and then in 2032 they'll they'll make the trek down to Baton Rouge. So I was All just right. wondering. I don't know. Maybe if, if both of us are, are still in, in our same jobs, maybe maybe we can catch up again and preview Utah LSU in 2031. Absolutely, I'd be honored. Gosh, a decade from now, I can't even imagine what it's going to look like. But it'd be a lot of fun to go to Utah. I've never been. It's, it's been cold here. We haven't had a lot of snow, uh, which is which is kind of weird. We're known, we're known for the greatest snow on earth, and it's been it's been kind of a dud year, kind of like of what 2020 has been, just kind of leaking over to 2021. But hopefully, yeah. we get a full season, full schedule, full you know fans, everything this year in 2021. And uh, you know, I I really do appreciate you, Wilson coming on talking about Chris and who he is as a player and hopefully we, we can catch up down the line of course Trevor I appreciate you reaching out and it was a pleasure to speak to you and there you go that was Wilson Alexander of the advocate in Baton Rouge giving us some insight on Chris Curry all I know is that fall camp is going to be so much fun and we're going to have you covered from top to bottom between the quarterback battle the running back spot and much much more when the season rolls around we still have a few months um, but spring ball will be interesting, too, because I know T.J. Pledger and Chris Curry are both here and enrolled at Utah and will be participating in spring ball. Let's just hope we get a full spring ball and not have any hiccups surrounding that. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, talk about the running Utes, the Lady Utes, and the Red Rocks. It's all right here on the Crimson Corner Podcast. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. 
Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in to the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's powered by kslsports.com. I'm Trevor Allen. Big thank you to Wilson Alexander for joining us who uh, talked to us about Chris Curry, a transfer out of LSU who's coming to Utah. He's Wilson is with The Advocate in Baton Rouge, so covers the LSU Tigers. He just finished his second year as the beat writer for LSU, and it's been, as you've heard, a tale of two years for him, obviously covering that dominant national championship team in 2019 followed by a disappointing 2020 season for Ed Orgeron's team. But a great insight on what Chris Curry will bring to the University of Utah. And I will tell you that if you want the latest content on anything going on with the University of Utah, as well as anything related to the Crimson Corner podcast, make sure you download the KSL Sports app. It's powered by University Federal Credit Union. You can get it wherever you get your apps, and it's free. I know a lot of apps nowadays are not free, and so um, it's great to have that at your fingertips. You can get it by just downloading the KSL Sports app wherever you get your apps. The Running Utes, we'll uh, go ahead and start with them. Uh, it's been a roller coaster ride, to say the least. They finally broke their road slump by beating Washington State, and that was a wall-to-wall win for them. Brandon Carlson was tremendous. So was Timmy Allen. Ryland Jones was just threading the needle as far as passes go. And then on Sunday, they go to Seattle to face the Washington Huskies, who, entering that game, had one conference win. Two wins for the entire season. Mike Hopkins' team is really struggling this year. And remember, Utah beat them in their season opener at the Huntsman Center. And it was a double-digit win. So you think, okay probably go to Washington and get the win. Utah had the lead before they turned the ball over three times in the final minute, and Washington ends the game on a 7-0 run and beat the Utes 83-79. to Now, that was a tough loss because it was looking good. You were playing well enough to get the win, and you just couldn't seal the deal. That's the frustrating part with this Utah basketball team. They are really good in first halves of games. I mean, you guys have saw it through that four-game homestand in one week. They had the lead at halftime, and it was either by 9, 10, or 12 points in those games, and they lost all but one. They were able to finish the deal against Stanford, but lost to Cal, Colorado, and Oregon. So to lose to a team that was 2-11 overall and 1-7, in Pac-12 play, that's a quad four loss when it comes to the net rankings. And that's not something that the, the tournament committee is going to look at and say, I think you guys deserve to be in the tournament. And I don't think we're talking about Utah potentially getting into the tournament right now. But things did help out a little bit. I mean, they already had a very slim chance of getting in. And to me, I don't think it's possible. But if Utah can get rolling here and get some big-time signature wins... 
Because you have some some games coming up that are going to be very difficult. You've got the Arizona schools. I know that the uh, Sun Devils are not having a great season, although I think that they just beat Stanford, which Stanford's pretty good. The Pac-12 is a mess. We'll just put it that way. Then you've got Arizona, who did a postseason ban with all of that Sean Miller recruiting scandal. They punished themselves and said, we're not going to the tournament. So they're not in it. Although, if they were eligible, they would probably be a tournament team. And then you've also got the Oregon schools, and you still have a makeup game with ASU. So two games against the Sun Devils. You've got two games against Oregon State. You have Oregon and the Southern California schools and the, the Northern California schools left. If you talk and rattle off a big win streak here, I think that they could potentially sneak in there. I, I still I think the loss to Cal and the loss to Washington really hurt them. I mean really hurt them because Cal is in kind of the same spot as Washington is. They're just struggling this year, and they didn't have their best player in that game at the Huntsman Center, and they still beat Utah and scored 50 points in one half. But then things changed on Saturday afternoon in Boulder against Colorado, who entering the game was number 17 in the country in the net ranking. So that would be a quad one win because not only are they a top 25 net ranking team, but you're doing it on the road. And Utah was down 19 points with 8.46 to go in the game. And insert Alfonso Plummer. That kid went off. He had 23 points in that second half. Scored 21 points in the final eight minutes of the game. And Utah pulls out a 77-74 win. Incredible. I could not believe what I watched when that happened. I was getting flashbacks on certain plays on some of the threes he was making. There was one where he literally threw it up and started running down the floor before it even reached the rim. That's how confident he was that it was going in. And that's when you knew this could be the same kid who hit 11 three-pointers against Oregon State in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament last year in Las Vegas. But he set a Pac-12 tournament record with 11 threes, breaking Clay Thompson's record of eight. But Plummer had it going, and boy, was it fun to watch. Now the question is, can they build off of that? You've got to be able to build off of that when you take on Arizona at home on Thursday night. It's at 5 o'clock on FS1, and only family members of the student-athletes and coaches are allowed to attend games now, which is cool. So there will be some fans at the Huntsman Center. And then the Utah women's basketball team, Lynn Roberts has a really young team. So I know that the record does not stand out as something to be impressed by. But Lynn Roberts has a really young team. I think she only has one senior on her roster. Two seniors on her roster. But you've also got a star guard in Brenna Maxwell. Drew Gilton's a junior. So is Andrea Torres is a junior. Lola Pendande is a sophomore. Nia Becker's a junior. Kemry Martin is a sophomore. And she's been fantastic as of late. Kennedy McQueen is a freshman, but she's a big-time freshman. So is Peyton McFarland out of Boise, Idaho. But right now, Lynn Roberts' team is 4-10 overall, 3-10 in conference play. They did have a stretch where they lost four games in a row to Colorado, the Arizona schools, and Washington State before beating Washington on January 3rd. And then they lost to USC, UCLA, number one Stanford, who's not number one anymore because they lost, I think, two games now. And they also lost to Arizona, but their game against Cal was, was postponed. So they, they played the Bruins, the Cardinal, and the Wildcats 
consecutively, and they were all top 10 teams at the time. And then they went down to Tempe and knocked off the Sun Devils 65-51 on January 24th. Kemri Martin had a career-high 25 points and was a perfect 5-for-5 from beyond the arc. And then they had their game against number 11, Oregon, postponed because the Ducks had some COVID-19 issues. So then they, they played on Sunday, January 31st, against Oregon State. They were down by as much as 19 points, kind of sound familiar, and they pulled within two points in the fourth quarter. But then Oregon State knocked down a three-pointer that kind of put the dagger in it, and they went on to lose 84-74. to Brenna Maxwell was great once again shooting the ball. She had 27 points, hit four threes, was perfect 11 of 11 from the foul line, and Kemri Martin had 16 points. She was struggling a little bit from downtown, one of five, but so were the entire team. They went seven to 26, and Drew Gilton had 11 points and four assists. I think a lot of this is you've got a really young team, but you're also playing in a conference where half the team is ra- or half the league is ranked. That's hard to do. Hopefully they'll be able to get a, a streak rolling. They're going to be taking on Cal, which I think is a very winnable game on Friday, February 5th. Then they have to go to Palo Alto and take on Stanford. And I know Stanford's lost a couple games, but they're still a team that was number one in the country for a few weeks on Super Bowl Sunday before coming home to face the Southern California schools. Then they'll go on the road to face the Washington schools, and then they'll wrap up the regular season on February 28th against Colorado before beginning Pac-12 tournament play at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas on March 4th. So we'll see how Lynn Roberts and and crew um, perform over the next couple of weeks. And we will keep tabs on them here on the Crimson Corner Podcast. Now, the Red Rocks, they're underway. They're 5-1. and one. They started the year number four in the country. Then they went to number three after winning the Best of Utah event against Utah State, Southern Utah, and BYU. So they started out 3-0 and by getting wins over all three of them. And then they had a game against number two, Oklahoma, where they lost 197.025 to 196.550. It was just a couple of events where they, they weren't able to get the best of, of OU. So then they dropped down to number six. And then they smashed Arizona 197.075 to 195.650. And then moved back down to number four. And then they smashed Washington at home 197.475 to 193.500. And Miley O'Keefe had a perfect 10 on the beam. So the Red Rocks are rocking right now, pun intended. They'll next be at Arizona State on February 6th on Saturday before coming home to take on the UCLA Bruins, the Cal Bears, and then going on the road to face Oregon State before wrapping up the season against Utah State. And then they will host the Pac-12 Championships at Maverick Center in West Valley. All right, that will do it for this edition of the Crimson Corner Podcast. Big thank you to Wilson Alexander for joining. Next episode... You will hear from Drew Lisk. I had an hour conversation with him about his time at Utah, his journey, and what's ahead in 2021 for Utah football. And also, signing day. Again, coming up on Wednesday, February 3rd, as Utah will seal the deal on their 2021 recruiting class. You'll get the latest on that at kslsports.com and on the KSL Sports app, powered by University Federal Credit Union. Thank you for listening. Until next time, this has been the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's always powered by kslsports.com.
a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.